Democrats are hoping to flip the seat come November with some help from young voters. They can use all the help they can get, young or old. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets for your listening enjoyment. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and other fine outlets, both uh, terrestrial and internets, and yes, downloadable at your favorite at all fine podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Yeah, as you heard in that open quote there, uh, Democrats are going to need young voters to turn out this year if they hope to flip one or both houses of the U.S. Congress. Uh, And on that uh, on that note, we've got some good news, I think, at least a new poll. Uh, More on that a bit later, hopefully coming up here momentarily. I think it's I think it's the first time we've had him on on the show, at least since we've gone to a daily uh, format, if I'm not mistaken. But um, our old friend Cenk Uger of the Young Turks will join us momentarily to talk about, among other things, The crazy, and I mean crazy, California primary elections, which are coming up next Tuesday, along with a bunch of other states on the same day. But there is a reason why California is particularly nuts this year. For example, with some 32 candidates for the U.S. Senate all running in the same primary uh, in hopes of uh, getting Dianne Feinstein's seat. She hopes to keep her seat. There's also 27 candidates for governor. And then there are the U.S. House races where Democrats are hoping to flip as many as seven seats from red to blue out here in the Golden State. But in a number of races, thanks to our weird top two primary system that we now have in California and a glut of candidates on the ballot, there may be zero Democrats who actually make it onto the November ballot in some of those races. I will explain why and all of that shortly, and we'll talk to Jank about it and about Donald Trump and whether progressives and establishment Democrats can come together to put a break on his madness. 
Uh, maybe we'll even talk about some Roseanne Barr to boot, just to keep things light. <laughs> Uh, that laugh you hear is, of course, Desi Doyen. She's here as usual, as she is every day. And uh, if we've got some Young Turks uh, viewers, listeners, watchers who might be tuning in today, they may remember uh, Desi as a regular co-host on the Young Turks. Yeah. Until I made you unavailable you by know, uh, having the gall to go to a daily show and requiring your <laughs> services here every day. Well, you know, we always joke about how Trump has kind of changed not only the news cycle, but my sense of time. It feels like that was eons ago, but it was really only a couple of years. Is that right? A yeah. couple of years ago that you were a regular on the Young Turks? Yeah, it's just been like that where the news volcano makes every day feel like a year. Now you're an old Turk. I guess that's how this works. Uh, all right. Well, uh, hey, speaking of elections, uh, an unusually high 14% of Americans are still getting no pay raises. Donald Trump and the Republicans have been pounding their message that the economy is booming. And, of course, they are hoping that people believe that their tax cuts uh, for the rich and the corporations will somehow uh, trick folks into voting for Republicans this November, and it might work as GOP numbers and uh, and Trump's numbers have been on the rise over the past couple of months. But as uh, Jeffrey Bartash asks at Market Watch today, if the job market is so great, why aren't more people getting pay raises? Good question, Mr. Bartash. Uh, in an article ostensibly about whether the Fed may raise interest rates to try and keep inflation down, Bartash writes, an unusually high percentage of American workers still are not getting pay raises nine years after the end of the Great Recession. Research by the Kansas City Federal Reserve found that an abnormally high share of employees still in the same jobs haven't received a pay raise in the last 12 months, despite a 3.9% unemployment rate that is the lowest in almost two decades. Economists refer to this phenomenon as wage rigidity. I refer to it as corporate greed, but then again, I don't work for the Federal Reserve. Uh, remember, these are corporations that just got huge tax cuts within the past several months. That money was supposed to trickle down to workers. Remember, so far, uh, not so much, at least if you believe the Federal Reserve. Bartash writes, what's more, the rate of future wage growth in the U.S. also tends to rise more slowly than usual when a high number of people are not getting any raises at all. So... Lack of raises for uh, some people makes future wage growth also stay down. While pay raises uh, fell off a cliff, according to this report, uh, during the Bush administration's global banking crisis and financial collapse, uh, they rose again. W uh, wages and pay raises rose again under Obama, but then slowly, uh, you know, it got slower. The, the, the number of raises it got slower during his term and then sort of fell off another cliff once uh, Trump came to office. Why would that be? And I really don't know the answer. I, I, I'm, I'm just putting it out there uh, that that even as the stock market was soaring, 
Uh, yeah. I would say yeah. that it's very clear to me, at yeah. least for people who work for corporations, that, you know, the corporate economy forces the corporations, requires them, as they say, to increase to maximize shareholder value. That means that they need to cut wherever they can to increase their stock price. And labor is a fantastic place in order to cut because people don't have the kind of negotiating power that they used to have with unions yeah. to ensure that they got consistent wage raises. Remember, wages have been flat since 1980 or so. So, you know, gosh, I wonder what happened back in 1980. Oh, yeah, Ronald Reagan was elected and started instituting all of these economic policies that have encouraged corporations to not give people kind, the kinds of wage raises that they require and that would keep pace with, for example, CEO pay. Well, that goes back to my uh, initial, uh, initial response to this idea of wage rigidity. It's not way. It's corporate greed. Exactly. Period. Uh, the report uh, might explain, uh, they say, why average U.S. wages still aren't growing all that fast, and it could have implications on how fast the Fed raises interest rates in coming months. In the most recent 12-month period ending in April, hourly U.S. wages increased, but at just 2.6%. Uh, normally, when the unemployment rate is as low as it is now, wages tend to increase, uh, tend to rise three and a half to four and a half percent every year, but not now. Some economists think hourly pay will soon breach three uh, percent annually and perhaps even go higher. But the Kansas City research, they say, casts doubt on that forecast. Other than that, you know, that tax cut has worked out great for workers, hasn't it, workers? <laughs> Right now, uh, about 14.3% of all workers in their current jobs fail to get a yearly increase in pay. Uh, this is according to a, a separate report. By contrast, the figure was around 11% or less at the height of the past two U.S. economic ex uh, expansions. So uh, the Fed, Fed economists say that the number would have to fall about two points to give strong reason to believe that hourly wage gains for the U.S. workers will somehow top 3% next year. But such a steep decline in so little time would be unprecedented, the Fed notes. What's worse, the share of workers not getting yearly raises actually appears to be rising instead of falling at this point. The report concludes the recent uptick in nominal wage rigidities suggests wage growth is unlikely to ramp up dramatically next year. But yeah, be suckers and vote for more of the uh, Trump Republican rocket fuel for the economy. Wasn't that what he called the tax cut? <laughs> rocket fuel for the economy. Yeah, it's exactly what he called it. And I think he's right. Just that not it's, for workers. Exactly. It's it's uh, for the for the CEOs and the shareholders and the yep. folks who hold stocks. It's not the people who do the actual production work of keeping the economy running. But also, uh, speaking of elections and their importance, uh, here's some good news, at least, uh, breaking out of Virginia at this hour. Democrats had big gains there, as you recall, in the uh, in in the in the state house and uh, in the governor's mansion last November, taking away total dominance in the state legislature from Republicans. Uh, at least enough to, well, get health care for almost half a million Virginians. After years of political battles and weeks of procedural delays, the Virginia State Senate voted 23 to 17 
this afternoon to expand Medicaid to cover between 300 and 400,000 more low-income residents in the Commonwealth. Four Republicans joined every single Senate Democrat in voting for the expansion in Virginia. Last-minute lobbying against expansion by the Trump administration. Of course, they... <laughs> We don't want health care for 300 and four, 300 to 400,000 American citizens, for Christ's sake. That's tyranny. So last minute lobbying by the Trump administration, by former uh, Senator Rick Santorum, Republican of Pennsylvania, and by the Koch brothers group Americans for Prosperity. That lobbying was not successful. When the bill is signed into law, as expected later this week, Virginia will join 33 states and the District of Columbia in expanding Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Yes, otherwise known as Obamacare. Thank you. You may have heard of it. Now, the state's House of Delegates, they have to adopt the Senate version of the bill or go to conference to resolve those differences between the two chambers. But that is uh, believed uh, likely to happen within the next few days. And the Democratic governor, Ralph Northam, uh, who won his election last November in a blue wave election in which Medicaid expansion was a key campaign issue, he has vowed to sign uh, to sign the measure into law. After the 2010 passage of Obamacare, you will recall dozens of states, the majority of them Republican-controlled, refused to expand Medicaid to their own residents, including Virginia, uh, which was then controlled by uh, Republican, Republican Governor Robert, Bob McDonald. Uh, one of the uniquely Virginian pieces of the Medicaid expansion bill that passed on Wednesday, according to Alice Olstein at TPM. Uh, is a tax on the revenue of hospitals and other medical providers. Many hospitals have actually been in favor of this tax, surprisingly enough, noting that they are primed to get an influx of billions of dollars in federal funding from this Medicaid expansion, as well as hundreds of thousands of newly insured patients as part of the expansion. Currently, many Virginia hospitals are actually losing money providing for many uninsured uninsured people across the state who will now be in, insured under Medicaid. Which is tremendous. That's wonderful. Virginia Hospital and, well, the Koch brothers disagree with you, Desi. They're well, not in favor. <laughs> Luckily, the state legislature in Virginia apparently prefers to represent their actual constituents rather than the Koch brothers. Well, and just to be clear, to underscore this point, all of the Senate Democrats agree just four of the Senate Republicans agree. That's what it's taken to get this across the finish line. Uh, but uh, Virginia Hospital and uh, Healthcare Association CEO uh, said increased uncompensated care and federal funding cuts makes the current status quo unsustainable. That status quo, however, is about to change in Virginia, thanks to voters who actually got out and voted this past November in Virginia, uh, removing the intransigent Republicans from office, replacing them with progressive and, yes, sometimes even conservative Democrats where it was needed to win back enough control of both the governor's mansion and the state house to get health care for as many as 400,000 Virginians. With money, by the way, federal money that was just sitting there unspent 
for all of these years from the Affordable Care Act. For the last, what, eight years now, that money has been sitting there unspent, could have gone to give Virginians health care. So that, yes, is where elections matter. That's one of the places where they matter. We will discuss some of those very same issues as California and seven other states prepare for primaries on Tuesday. Coming up next with Jank Uger of the Young Turks right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast, Young Americans, Young Turks, Old Americans, Old Turks alike. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, next Tuesday, June 5, we will have primary elections for the crucial 2018 elections in eight different states all at once. Sounds like fun. As the fight to begin putting the brakes on the uh, GOP dominance in D.C. and on the national emergency that I see Donald Trump's presidency as, as all of that barrels toward November. States holding primaries on Tuesday include Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, South Dakota, Alabama, about which I hope to have a story for you later this week regarding some insane emails and phone calls I've been receiving from their Secretary of State over the past few days. And, of course, the big kahuna for Democrats, the great state of California, where, as the New York Times reported over the weekend, confusion and chaos now reign, at least for Democrats. As Jonathan Martin reports, National Democrats confronting mushrooming political chaos across Southern California are pouring millions of dollars into congressional races to avert a self-inflicted disaster that, they worry, could undermine their chances at taking control of the U.S. House as hoped this November. After months of optimism that the state's June 5 primary would position them to pick off as many as seven Republican-held districts in November, Democrats are now trying to ensure that they do not hurt themselves because of their unusually crowded slates of candidates. With so many Democrats running in a number of these races, the party's fear is that the vote will be splintered, allowing Republicans, who have many fewer candidates, to dominate some of these key primary races. This could be a serious problem for Democrats and their hopes of taking back the House because several years ago in a move that, well, we had warned at the time would likely come back to haunt Democrats, 
The state moved to a top-two primary system, meaning all candidates from all parties run together in the same primary, and whoever the top-two vote-getters are from any party move on to compete in the general election in November. So that means that two Democrats could run against each other in the fall in any of these races, or, as Democrats fear, two Republicans could become the top two after primary contests where a lot of Democrats are running on Tuesday and could split up the progressive and Democratic vote pool. While the top two system, according to the paper, was meant to create incentives for political moderation in a state where about a quarter of the voters are independents, it has created immense stakes for Democrats who need to flip 23 seats overall to take back the House. And party officials believe the path runs through seven competitive California districts, which Hillary Clinton carried back in 2016. Confusion and frustration among Democrats here seems to grow by the day as the state and national party back different contenders in a number of races. And progressive activists like my guest in a moment make things even more difficult by backing progressive candidates that may not be endorsed by the Democratic Party at all. Some voters are now not sure who to back and who uh, they can feel confident in uh, as far as Democrats go to know that any of these Democrats will, in fact, advance past June 5. Many are increasingly worried that Republicans will foil the party's chances to stop Trump's agenda in the House next year. So what seemed like the Democrats' most valuable asset in the midterm campaign, a wave of liberal activism unleashed in response to Donald Trump, has now metastasized, according to the New York Times, into a mortal threat because of the glut of candidates. Of course, the U.S. House primaries aren't the only ones on the ballot on Tuesday. Longtime Democratic U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein is facing a challenge from the left from a bunch of folks, among others, uh, California State President Kevin DeLeon in a remarkably contentious contest between progressives and establishment Democrats that resulted in neither of those two candidates being endorsed at the state party convention earlier this year after DeLeon received more votes from members than the 85-year-old five-term senior senator. But neither got enough to win the majority needed to to secure the state party's endorsement. But they are not the only ones running for the top two slots on the Senate ballot on Tuesday. In all, in fact, there are some 10 Democrats, 11 Republicans, a Libertarian, a Peace and Freedom Party candidate, and nine nonpartisan candidates on the ballot for the U.S. Senate for a total of 32 candidates vying for those two top slots. Also, statewide races for governor, which has 27 candidates, Lieutenant Governor, Secretary of State, among others, are also on the ballot in the Golden State next Tuesday as well, just to give you an idea of the potential chaos that we're now facing. Here to help make sense of that chaos, maybe, and other chaos that awaits Democrats in the Golden State and elsewhere is our old friend Jenk Uger, host and founder of the wildly popular and award-winning The Young Turks and the TYT Network, which they note actually beats CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News combined in monthly online video views and unique viewers among millennials. Jenk Uger, welcome to the broadcast, my friend. Uh, 
Great to be here. Great to talk to you again. Uh, last I saw you in person, I think, was uh, the Young Turks' 10th anniversary late in 2015, I want to say. I know it's been a slow couple of years since then. So uh, good to catch <laughs> <laughs> good to catch up with you a bit today. Uh, hey, uh, yes. Cenk, I got a lot of politics I want to talk to you about, but as this actually feeds into some points uh, uh, that I want to ask you about, and as uh, Young Turks, which our own Desi Doyen here, has guest hosted a number of times over the years. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, uh, hey, Desi. Uh, even I have on occasion. Uh, but you guys cover all manner of things. So let me ask you very quickly about this Roseanne business today, if you don't mind. Uh, after a blatantly racist tweet on Tuesday about Valerie Jarrett, a longtime advisor to uh, President Obama, that led to ABC's cancellation of her show. She apologized. She wrote off the now-deleted tweet to Ambien tweeting at 2 in the morning and the makers of Ambien. Uh, and i got to give him credit for this. Uh, you probably saw this response, Cenk. Sanofi yeah, USA said, While all pharmaceutical treatments have side effects, racism is not a known side effect of any Sanofi medication. But then Donald Trump, after remaining silent for a day or two, uh, no small feat for him, jumped into the to the mess here and said, Bob Iger of ABC called Valerie Jarrett to let her know that ABC does not tolerate comments like those made by Roseanne Barr. And he adds, gee, he never called President Donald J. Trump to apologize for the horrible statements made and said about me on ABC. Maybe I just didn't get the call. So, yes, he made it about him again. So I want your thoughts in general on the issue. And then I've got a specific question about Trump's tweets and, and the media coverage of them. Yeah. So uh, Roseanne has attacked me as well. Uh, who hasn't she attacked, right? Um, and so this would be a, a great moment for me to rub it in. And and I can't help but do that a little bit, and I did it <laughs> on the air yesterday a little bit. Yeah. But overall, uh, the more I read into it, the more I realized I think that she literally has a, a mental uh, issue, and a uh, mental health issue. Mm -hmm. And she's had it for a long time. She is dressed up as Hitler and like put cookies of people um into ovens mm -hmm. um she has attacked israel vociferously when she was on the left theoretically she then turned around and went right wing and then started calling palestinians and their supporters nazis mm -hmm. um she um pretty similar to donald trump certainly similar to kanye west similar to glenn beck similar to alex jones i think they literally all have mental health problems and I think that the right wing in this country is following crazy people. And that's not a very politically correct way to put it, but I, I keep saying it because it's true. I think it's literal. They're following literal crazy people. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I think Roseanne's got some issues that she should sort out in a hospital. Um, and, um, and the fact that, uh, that she's got all these supporters, including the president apparently, mm -hmm. Uh, is disturbing for the state of the country more so than it is about one particular celebrity. And I, I think you you may be on to something there about her being uh, maybe crazy. And, uh, and this is why I wanted to ask about this, because, you know, Donald Trump, who I think joins her in truth in that craziness, uh, but he's helping to make the rest of the country, folks like Roseanne, crazy as well. And uh, so I wonder every day, and you probably deal with this on, on the Turks as you try to figure out what to cover, 
how much of his tweets, his obnoxious and, and often wildly inaccurate tweets, uh, should be covered. I mean, they do have an effect on the electorate. Yesterday we talked on the show about how uh, a majority of Republicans, even a quarter of Democrats, now believe that some five million fraudulent votes were cast in 2016. So they're buying into this stuff. They're buying into the nonsense about the Mueller probe. So how much should outlets, be it, you know, the Young Turks, Bradcast, even your old employers at MSNBC, for example, how much should we be covering so much of this idiocy coming from Donald Trump's Twitter feed and Donald Trump in general? Well, it depends on the platform, right? So I think there's an argument to be made for progressive shows like ours to cover it more. I'll make that argument in a second. Um, for the mainstream media, the problem is that's all they cover. So if they had more of a balance as we do where we talk about policy and then, of course, the, the news of the day, including Trump's tweets, uh, I think that that makes sense. Uh, but they don't have much balance. So they're all Russia, all tweets, all drama, all soap opera, etc. And, um, and so for them... Um, they're probably doing it, overdoing it a little bit. On the other hand, I don't think that they're getting to the substance of the issue for, uh, for a reason that I'm going to explain. Now, mm-hmm. I think we should cover it more because we, we're not emphasizing enough that the President of the United States is um, a combination of mentally unhealthy and certainly unstable, incredibly dumb, uh, and most importantly, fascist. And so when you look at a tweet that he did recently where he said the Mueller, the people leading the Mueller probe, the special counsel office, mm-hmm. are planning to meddle in the midterm election, mm-hmm. that is insanity. Yes. It's anyone who believes that is a total and utter lunatic. Right. The special counsel's office would go and rig elections and somehow break into the voting booths, etc., so if you're, the proper way to cover that is to say our president is either insane or he is planning a fascist uh, basically takeover of the system where if he loses the elections or his party loses the elections, they're just going to say that Mueller did it or the FBI did it and not listen to democracy. And that is enormously dangerous. We cannot underestimate that. And then that leads to the final point, which is that the, the one you were making, Brad, which is that it, it's working on people. He's gotten a huge percentage of the Republican Party, let alone the country, mm-hmm. to lose their minds. Now, yep. a great majority of Republicans believe that the FBI uh, is going into a room, making up facts, uh, out of whole cloth, and they're all Democrats, and they're all on, on a, a political crusade to get Donald Trump. That's not within miles of true. Right. And he's gotten the majority of Republicans, to believe things that are preposterous, insane. So if you're not paying attention to that, you're making a mistake. But but when you cover it, because I really don't know the answer to this, I wrestle with it every day, I, I suspect you do too, when, when we cover it, are we not giving more attention to that insanity, that madness? And then, of course, on the other hand, you know, I'm inclined, I don't want to cover it at all because it is insane. I don't want to give up the show to him and his insanity. And yet that allows people to believe it more. I mean, it's it's really a catch-22. 
it definitely is. And and we were on the side of not covering Trump. In fact, we had he was one of the two people that we had banned from the show mm-hmm. well before he started running for president. Because uh, I, the reason we banned him is not because we disagree with him, but because we thought he was just doing it for attention, and that he didn't genuinely believe anything he was saying. And so we were right about that, but it didn't work, Brad. It didn't work. <laughs> right. And right now he's the president of the United States of America, so you cannot ignore him. He has enormous power. He has access to nuclear weapons, and he has access to the bully pulpit. So the idea of ignore the lunatic in the corner of the room uh, was unfortunately a terrible failure. That lunatic is now in the center of the room and has the levers of power. So we must fight back with every ounce of our being as vigorously as we can, including pointing these things out. One more thing that's important that I alluded to earlier, which is mm-hmm. part of the reason the mainstream media, yes, they cover the tweets. Yes, from time to time they've been emboldened to say he's not telling the truth, which is a big step forward for them. But overall, they don't say it with the vigor that I just explained uh, about the special counsel interfering with elections, et cetera, and I can give you a hundred other tweets just as crazy. Mm-hmm. And the reason they don't do that is because they're afraid of offending Republican viewers. So their business imperative to not lose a certain percentage of their audience is coloring how they cover the truth of the matter. And in reality, they have to. they should go out there and do what, we do and say if you believe this you are nuts it is not true it's not remotely true uh... but they're afraid that they're going to turn off thirty percent of the country and and lose advertising dollars and that's what's happening well let's let's talk about what to do about donald trump at this point and the, the response uh... the democrats should have although maybe this is a trick question uh... jank uger is uh... the young turks a news outlet or a political organization uh, we are a news outlet that is proudly activist. So the rest of uh, mainstream news and corporate news say, hey, uh, relax, don't do anything. Just, you know, do the news, but don't care about it. Mm-hmm. And don't try to fix anything. <laughs> Fixing anything is bad. Uh, and we don't agree with that. We think that you can present the news and then say, now here's what you can do to fix it. And you also have your uh, Wolfpack group supporting progressive candidates across the country. Is that an official uh, TYT group, or is that an outreach uh, uh, created by uh, viewers and supporters? No, none of it is official TYT anything. Um, The different hosts are allowed to have different opinions and push for different uh, agendas, groups, etc., Mm -hmm. right? So um, uh, I often disagree with our hosts uh, and on-air Jimmy has Jimmy Dore has his own take on stuff. Yep. Uh, Michael Shura has his own take, and they're on different sides, and and we get into it, and it's fun. Um, but I, I started Wolfpack, um, and that is to get money out of politics. It does support candidates um, throughout the country, and it opposes candidates throughout the country. But it's actually nonpartisan. Uh, it's on one mission, one mission only. If you are for getting money out of politics, we will support you. If you're against that idea, then we will defeat you. Period. Um, the other group that I helped to start mm-hmm. uh, that I'm not in anymore but fully support mm-hmm. is Justice Democrats. And that group supports progressives and only progressives and only uncorrupted, non-corporate, pack money-taking, uh, uh, strong progressives. 
Uh, I know, uh, as you know, Jank, I love democracy. I love comp- competitive elections. I have no problem whatsoever with challenges to incumbents and corporate Democrats. Uh, but has the top two system here in uh, the top two primary system that I described in the opening here in uh, California, uh, approved by voters, I should say, back in 2010, uh, has it created unnecessary and potentially dangerous stakes at this point for uh for Democrats, or is this all a good thing and I'm just missing the bigger picture? Yeah, so that's a complicated answer, and it depends on the the particular race at hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, and it's not binary, in meaning um, there are many different ways of doing voting, mm-hmm. and some are better than others. So I think most progressives these days agree, uh, for logical reasons, that ranked choice voting is probably the best way to go. Um, not me, now, just for the record, just putting that in, absolutely oh. not me, but that's all right, well, go that's ahead. that's because of how it, uh, the difficulties okay. of counting and all that, but we can do that another day. Exactly. We can't count one plus one plus one, so throw the complicated algebra of uh, ranked choice voting, and we got a real problem. But anyway, I take your point. Proceed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and no problem. I, I totally get it, and these are all great, perfectly, uh, you know, good discussions to have about what the best system is. Mm-hmm. Um in the case of the uh, the California system where the top two advance, so far it has been to the advantage of Democrats because California is overwhelmingly Democratic, so usually two Democrats advance. Mm-hmm. And that's great because that uh, takes away the, in the general election, voting b- between the lesser of two evils. Oftentimes you hope it takes that away. And in practice it has sometimes. Now... But the problem is where you have a race where you have 30 Democrats and two Republicans. Yeah. And the 30 Democrats split up uh, the vote and the two Republicans advance, even though uh, head-to-head they'd have no chance. Um, so we're going to see here in this particular election if that happens in reality in any of these races. In the Senate race, there's almost, n- not almost, there is no chance of that. Um, there is still a chance that a Republican advances to the general election, which would be disheartening, but then that would get you back to the norm anyway. Um, so uh, I, I think that there is two different camps on this, Brad. One is the legit camp that, that you might be in where they go, hey, I don't want 30 Democrats splitting up the vote. Then there is the what I would consider the illegitimate camp, including the New York Times piece that you uh, cited there in the mm-hmm. beginning. Now, why do I think that's illegitimate? Because... Almost everyone in mainstream media that has written about this, unsurprisingly, writes about it from the perspective of the Democratic Party is geniuses. They know what they're doing. They have already selected a candidate. Why won't you pesky progressives bow your head already? And so a great example of that is California's 50th district. Uh, there's a wonderful progressive, uh, Amar Kampanajar, uh, running uh, there, and he's uh, in the top two, if the election was held today and the polling is accurate, he would easily move on to the general election against the Republican incumbent, Duncan Hunter Jr. Um, the Democratic Party uh, doesn't like him because he's not corrupted. He won't use their lobbyists, he won't use their consultants, and he doesn't take over PAC money. Instead, they're backing a guy who's in fifth place. So the New York Times wrote about it yesterday, mm-hmm. same kind of way of describing it, and they're saying, ah, well, Josh Buter is in fifth uh, is in is the main opponent of Duncan Hunter Jr., and this system is hurting him. No, this system is hurting him because he's a terrible candidate. He was a Republican like three seconds ago. Uh, the Democratic Party is terrible at picking candidates. 
so no, the system's going to let, it looks like, if the polling's right, Amar move on and not the horrible Democratic candidate. But the Adam Nagorny's of the world, and to be fair to him, he, he literally said Josh was leading when he was in fifth place. When they pointed out that you're wrong, you didn't even bother looking it up, you just took talking points from the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. he did finally change it and go, oops, my bad, he's not in second place. Uh, but oh, oftentimes those guys are friends with the Democratic Party officials. I don't want them picking our candidates under any circumstance. That's the worst possible system. And does that go for the National Democrats and the California Democrats? Because the, there's uh, a number of races where the California Democrats have endorsed one, the National Party is, uh, is supporting no. another? No, it goes for any closed system of a small number of people picking. So... Uh, for example, in that race, mm-hmm. Amar won the California Democratic vote easily. He got 94 or 97% of the vote because he's such a great candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, I wouldn't say, no, it's over, he's the candidate. No, you got to take it to the people. Uh, so right now, the California Democratic Party is way better than the National Democratic Party, but is it really representative of California Democrats overall? No, no. I believe in democracy. We've got uh, uh, just a few uh, few minutes here. Very quickly, I want to get in uh, two more questions. Uh, you, I know you guys have endorsed, uh, you mentioned uh, Mark Kampanajar uh, in the 50th district. Uh, who, who else do you want to let our progressive listeners know about? We're just days away from the primary at this point. I know you're all in for uh, Democrat Allison Hartson. Is that it in the race for U.S. Senate against uh, Feinstein? So I, I want to talk about some of the other uh People running in uh, in California mm-hmm. as well. So Rosa Calderon is fantastic. Doug Applegate. These are all Just Democrats. So you can go to JustDemocrats.com and get a list of all the Just Democrats that are running the race. And mm-hmm. I think you'll love them. None of them take corporate PAC money. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, I want to tell you about Allison. Okay. So she's running the Senate race, and uh, she ran Wolfpack for, and she was a national director there. Worked there for five years. She has enormous experience in, in uh, fighting the real fight, getting money out of politics. She's leading by every metric uh, that shows you grassroots energy and movement. She has nearly 2,000 volunteers, which probably lapsed the entire field of 31 other candidates. She's lapped the field uh, in social media more than KDL and Feinstein and all other candidates combined, again. Small dollar donations, same thing, more than KDL and Feinstein combined. So she's an amazing candidate. Uh, Her whole mission is to get into the Senate and get money out. Not a little out, not 5% change. No, get the whole goddamn thing out. Pass an amendment, end it, end the corruption. And Feinstein is a poster child for corruption. So if, if in the general election you've got Allison against Feinstein, she will beat Feinstein, I I guarantee it. Feinstein's an incredibly weak candidate, incredibly conservative, incredibly corrupt. If you've got Allison Hartson in there, she's going to beat her with a stick. So now in terms of is she going to move on in, on June 5th in this style? First of all, luckily, we still get to decide that. If you live in California, for God's sake, vote and get everyone else to vote. Allison Hartson is the real progressive candidate, and right now she's in a statistical tie for second place. So she's right there on the doorstep. So uh, we just got to push for a couple more days here and Tuesday's election. So you got to do your part. Don't leave it to the lesser of two evils or two establishment Democratic politicians. 
actually get a progressive in there. Lastly, let's talk about the uh, lesser of two evils uh, question, because I've asked this of many of our uh, progressive guests. Uh, what should we do, Jenk? If uh, you know, come November, you can look at you know places like West Virginia. You got right-wing Democratic U.S. Senator Joe Manchin who will be on the ballot, for example, uh, or even you know, well, Democratic uh, Senator Feinstein, not so much because she may be running against another Democrat. But if the choice is between a corporate establishment Democrat. Uh, exactly the Democrats you hate, Jank. Uh, if the choice between one of them and a Trump-loving Republican, what would you advise, never mind Democrats, what would you advise progressive voters to do this November? So this is a question that nonstop gets me in, in trouble, uh, and, uh, and because, as usual, I answer it honestly. Uh, so if you have got to vote for the better person in each particular election, for God's sake, vote in the primaries. Primaries are more important than general elections. Why do you wait for terrible choices yep. when you have excellent choices in primaries? <laughs> so 90% of our effort as progressives should go towards primaries. Now, so vote for the better person in the primaries. Alison Hartson, have I mentioned that? Um, you did, you did, yeah. <laughs> okay, now, when you get to the general election, yeah. When you get to the general election, it's still your responsibility as a citizen uh, to vote uh, for the better of the two candidates. And it might be that they're both terrible. Uh, so is it Satan or Beelzebub? Well, it depends. What's Satan up to and what's Beelzebub up to? And uh, so, yes, I would, for here, here's an example. Feinstein, who I cannot stand, I don't know if I could made that clear enough. You did, yeah. Um, is, up against, yeah. is up against Patrick Little. He's a Republican that now is sometimes finishing in second place in some of the polls. And he would advance to the general election if those polls are right. Patrick Little is a Nazi, uh, and he is doing calls right now where he's saying he's going to drive the Jews out of the country. So, no, I'm going to go vote for Dianne Feinstein, okay, if that's the choices. And for some progressives, I don't know why, they think, that's crazy, you can't vote for Feinstein, that's the lesser of two evils. Yeah, it's the lesser of two evils, where the one evil is a Nazi. <laughs> so, and it's also... Don't... The, yeah. Well, I was going to say, the lesser of two evils is also less evil. Yes. So don't let it get to that point. For God's sake, put all your energies into the primaries so your choice is, is not a corporate robot who is going to keep and maintain this terrible system we have and a Nazi. What a terrible choice that would be. So get involved in the primaries. But if you get to that point... Yes, for God's sake, vote against the Nazi. It's well, not that complicated. Well, well you're not going to get in trouble from me. You may have problems with our old friend Jimmy Dore over there. Uh, but I, you know, I see this, frankly, as a national emergency right now. So I'm quite concerned that, uh, you know, I want to see that fight you're talking about in the primaries. Go get them. But once we get to no November, it seems to me that uh, progressives and establishment Democrats need to come together to stop what I think is a national emergency. I really do. Uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but otherwise I think we're in complete agreement on that point. Uh, it, to this day, uh, I've got trolls and bots and everything else attacking me every single day because you told people to vote for Hillary Clinton in the general election. God damn right I did. I, and I've been proven a million percent right. Look at the monster in office. This guy's on fascism's doorstep. So I told you to vote for Bernie Sanders, and I was right about that. 
and he would have won the general election, and I'm still waiting for the apology from the establishment, the Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton, and all of her supporters. They were wrong, and we were right. But once we lost the primary, what did you want to do? You want to let Trump win? <laughs> this guy's talking about ending elections. Are you guys insane? No, yes, I said vote for Hillary Clinton and I, against Donald Trump and only against Donald Trump. That was the correct decision. Jank Uger, uh, you can send your tweets to him at Jank Uger. That's C E N K U Y G U R. You can follow uh, him and the Young Turks uh, now in their, what, 12th, 13th year at this point? How, how, how many years, Jank? 12th year online, 16th year overall. 16th year. Man, you're older than me. Check them out at tytnetwork.com. Also, uh, their uh, endorsements at Justice Democrats. You can find at, I think it's justdemocrats.com. Is that right? It's No, just the word justicedemocrats.com. Justicedemocrats.com. So, yeah, justicedemocrats.com. All right. Yep. Yeah, and please, wherever you live in California or any of the states that Brad mentioned in the beginning, because we've got candidates everywhere, 11 of them have already won their primaries and are moving on to the general election. But uh, June 5th is a gigantic day. So uh, Brian Caforio, Doug Applicate, Amar Kampanajar, Allison Hartson, uh, and, and so many others, uh, please get out there, find out who they are, and get involved. Jank Uger of the Young Turks and TYT Network. Thank you, brother. Great catching up with you. Hope to do it again soon. Uh, absolutely. Thank you, man. You bet. Okay, quick break and uh, back with, well, we'll see. A little bit, okay, a little bit more news about the 2018 election coming up. Uh, right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Amen. 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 Take me to church. Like a dog Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I wonder if people tuning in for that bumper music think this is a uh, Jesus station. I don't think they will. You sure? <laughs> yeah, okay. pretty sure. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Well, if they do think that, well, you've come to the right place, my flock. Um, <laughs> welcome back. Did I say Bradcast? Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, you know, one point that uh, Jenk made uh, that I think I think it's a good point uh, that independent outlets may, and I'd say may, need to cover Trump's madness, his tweets and all of that uh, more, maybe. Uh, but the corporate media needs to cover it less. I think he's right on point there. Um, now, he may be able to say, you know, we only have an hour a day. He's yeah. got uh, over there in the Young Turks. How long's the Young Turks itself is? The main show yeah. is two hours. Right. And he gets to talk on and on as long as he wants on any given story. <laughs> well, and as and, and the other anchors do uh, get to do that as well. And they but it's not just the Young Turks. TYT Network has uh, something like tw at least 12 different owned and operated shows and partner shows. The. 
the think tank, the TYT Sports, TYT Interview, TYT Politics. Oh, yeah. So they have a lot more time, I guess, uh, than we do because, uh, you know, I'm I'm not convinced we should cover it more. Well, I think he, though, yeah. he, he made a good point that it depends on the outlet. It depends on the platform. It depends on where you're doing it. You know, there are certain uh, utilities to the uh, to the, the straight journalism folks that are just trying as best they can to bring the information out there and let people decide. However, there is no countervailing or counterbalancing media that comes out like the Young Turks, like us here on the broadcast, who are there then able to put it into context and say, no, that's not just a falsehood, that's a lie. And frankly, you know, how much to cover him is a decision that I hate. I hate m- making every single day. Uh, so you can uh, let us know your thoughts on the mix of uh, stuff that we cover here on the Bradcast and the choices that we have to make every day. You can uh, reach me via email. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com. On Twitter, I am the Brad Blog. But, you know, when it comes to the actual uh, public airwaves that are just blanketing this country with right wing stuff and nonsense and not nearly enough counterpoint like we offer here, like Cenk offers on the Young Turks. Uh, That is uh, to the endless shame of Democrats who have allowed our public airwaves to be given away to these uh, corporations and their right-wing propaganda, which has now become Trump propaganda. Yeah, and I'll just note that, you know, right-wing billionaires fund think tanks and they fund media outlets and they fund all sorts of echo chamber media outlets that can amplify and, uh, and spread more propaganda, whereas, you know... When there are Democratic or liberal-leaning billionaires, they don't tend to do that same thing. Well, here is uh, one Democratic billionaire, uh, Tom Steyer, has been working very hard at uh, trying to get folks, uh, young voters, signed up to vote this year. And he may be having some success there. A majority of adults who will be old enough to vote in 2018 say they are planning to According to a poll released on Wednesday by AP and MTV, a majority of adults, uh, young adults who will be old enough to vote, when asked to rate their likelihood on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being certain to vote, 56% rated their likelihood at a 6 or above, 32% said they were absolutely certain to vote. This is a study of uh, voters among the ages from 15 to 34, Obviously, if you're 15, you can't vote. But uh, those uh, so those who were who would be old enough to vote this year were asked this question. And um, this study finds that young voters are highly motivated right now by the political environment to get out and vote. Forty percent said they felt extremely or very angry about the state of the country. Thirty six percent said they felt anxious. That's me. I'm in the uh, (laughs) if I was younger, I'd be in that group in any event. But I do feel anxious. Um, Just 13 percent of those polled said that they felt positive about the state of the country. Just 13 percent. Nine percent said they were excited about the state of the country. Who are those nine percent and what are they so (laughs) excited about? Uh, When asked how much can people like you affect what the government does? A majority, 62 percent, said a little or not at all. That's not good. The issue most uh, most fo- uh, folks uh, aged 15 to 34 say that they are concerned about are uh, gun laws. 
followed by the economy. That would include jobs, debt, poverty, the cost of living. 21% cited gun laws, including school shootings, when asked an open-ended question, uh, quote, of all the issues facing the country right now, what concerns you the most? 21% cited gun laws. I can't imagine being in uh, high school or junior high, as some of these uh, folks are, uh, worried about gun laws and school shootings. But that's where we are right now. Finally, what should be good news for Democrats, unless they squander it as they do, this group of upcoming or current adults is less Republican than the rest of the country as a whole. A plurality in this poll, 34% consider themselves to be Democrats, while 26% say they are independents, 19% say they are Republicans. Compare that to the population at large, which uh, has, uh, let's see, more Republican. 27% of the population at large says they are Republicans. That compared with 19% of these younger voters. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, as far as Democrats, uh, 34% of the population at large considers themselves to be Democrats. Uh, 34% of these young adults consider themselves to be Democrats. So the so number of Democrat the is staying same, but the number of uh, of Republicans would be plummeting, it seems. Um, so we'll see. Maybe yeah. good news for Democrats. Uh, maybe good news for all of the all of us if these folks get out and vote this November. Yeah, and then and that I think is the and biggest... in the primaries, as <laughs> yes. Jenk was saying, get out and vote in the primaries. Oh, yeah, yes. totally. I mean, because based on that, I mean, remember all of the complaints about the candidates who were put up in the general election in 2016. And I remember reminding people, hey, did you get out and vote in the primary? Did you did you take a step to engage in deciding which candidates were going to be up for election? And most people did not. That's understandable. As you grow up, as you get older, you understand how to engage in the political process. The biggest part. Oh, you're part, speaking down to young people now, no, aren't I you? Am there, not. yeah, I, because I used to be older, that way myself. Yeah. However, the biggest part is always voting, getting out and voting. You got to get out and vote. If you don't get out and vote, then you get what you get. Indeed. Thank you very much. Our producer, Desi Doyen. My thanks, of course, to Jen Huger of the Young Turks and the TYT Network and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. It is always my honor. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And while listening to the show is free, producing it for us is not. So we thank those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to try to do what we, what we do every day over your public airwaves for as long as we can. We rely only on you. No corporate or political sponsors here. Uh, drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. And that's it for today. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.